0: Welcome to Inspiration Rising. I'm your host, David Trotter, and we're here to inspire you to rise up in your life, love, and leadership. Well, I love our kids, but sometimes they just drive me nuts. And my guess is if you have kids, no matter how old they are, whether they're 2, 22, or 42, you probably feel the same way. So if you're prone to say things like, What were you thinking? I can't believe you did that. You are in so much trouble. Maybe you interweave a few expletives as well. Well, this episode is definitely for you. The bottom line is that we all love our kids, and we want to see them have a wonderful life. That's the goal of every parent. But it can be so hard, can't it? I mean, it's really hard. And that's why I asked my wife, Laura Trotter, to join us today. She is a professional educator with 17 years of experience at the kindergarten level, and she's a coach for other teachers within her school district in Southern California, I got to tell you, she is deeply respected by her colleagues and administrators for not only her teaching techniques, but as well as her growing expertise in the area of what is called social and emotional learning. And we're partners in the journey of parenting our own amazing kids. And she models healthy parenting to me every day. You're going to love her and the principles that she's sharing with us. All right, let's jump into my conversation with none other than Laura Trotter. Lord, it's great to have you today. Thanks so much for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So today we are talking about three revolutionary ways to love your child, no matter their age. And you have a lot of experience in loving children because not only do we have children, but you somehow have this ability to multiply 24 children every year.
1: I do. Man, it's hard work, but I do it.
0: You give birth to 24 kids every year, pretty much.
1: Whoa, that's crazy.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, you're not giving birth to them, but like you're giving birth to them learning.
1: That's true. As a kindergarten teacher, that is what I do.
0: Feels like giving birth. I hear about the birth stories every night. <laughs> so uh, you have spent a ton of time over the last 17 years trying to figure out the best way to teach kids reading, writing, arithmetic, but also uh, how to keep their minds and bodies involved in this learning process as opposed to going crazy. And kindergarten, if you if you're a listener and you have not had kindergarten or kindergartners recently, kindergarten isn't like back when Laura and I went to school. Like I remember playtime, nap time, all this kind of stuff. There's no time for naps.
1: The expectations are so high now. It is like second grade almost.
0: So there is a real need for kids to be reading And writing and doing math by the time they leave kindergarten.
1: Those are the standards, and we have to follow them. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's huge. So we're not here to debate standards today.
1: No, we're not.
0: We're here to talk about how to uh, love kids because you have a lot of experience with that with young ones. And one of the things that you have done is so much research on how to provide, like, I guess the word would be in your industry, classroom management. Is that right?
1: That would be it, yes. Okay, yes. how
0: to manage a classroom. we got a lot of kids. They're going to be running around, going crazy. Mm-hmm. And so a number of years ago, I know you came across a book that really revolutionized, revolutionized your way of teaching, but also your approach to kids, even our kids. And even myself. And yourself and me, how you <laughs> interact with me, how you discipline me. Wait, wait a second, you don't discipline me. You know, how you interact with me. There you go. <laughs> Tell me about... Why you continue to research this and tell me about this book?
1: Well, as I you know have to teach every day, day in and day out, um the needs of kids, I see their heart, and I see how much they need on a daily basis of care and love, and just regulating their body. The new tag word line would be um, self-regulation, social emotional learning. And so, as I started reading books, I realized that some of the things I was doing in my classroom was just kind of a band-aid day-to-day, and it wasn't really lifelong lessons to help them self-regulate. And ultimately, that's what I wanted to see them do.
0: Mm -hmm. When you use that word self-regulate, what does that that even mean?
1: It's just the ability to um, manage um, one's own emotions, one's own body, recognize the feelings they're feeling, and using tools in order to um, be in a place of learning.
0: Okay. So if they're running around, jumping up and down, punching each other, a lot of hands-on activity in kindergarten.
1: A lot of hands-on. That's how they relate to each other, for sure.
0: Yeah. So unfortunately, uh, although that can be fun on the playground, but in the learning environment, it can be a challenge.
1: It can be a huge challenge when their brain is not in the learning of that I need them to be doing.
0: Okay. So if you're listening to us right now and you're going, I don't have young kids, hang in there. Because some of the tools that we're going to be talking about, Laura's going to be sharing, really do... Um, play out in how Laura and I, as I'm learning, uh, interact with our 16-year-old, our 20-year-old. And frankly, if you're like 65 and you have a 40-year-old, these tools, these uh, ways of loving them are completely applicable at no no matter the age, wouldn't you say?
1: It's huge. It's helped me identify a lot about my own self and how I communicate with others. So that's powerful.
0: Okay, so uh, the name of this book is?
1: It's called Conscious Discipline. And basically what it is, it's a comprehensive brain-based, it's trauma-informed, and it's a self-regulation program. Um, It integrates social, emotional learning and discipline— and it addresses the need of the adult first and the child second.
0: Now, is the name of the book "Conscious Discipline"? It's called Conscious Discipline. Okay, and it's by
1: it's by Dr. Becky Bailey.
0: Okay, and there's a no, there are a number of books that she's put out on the market. Yes, um, that I know. One of them, uh, "Easy to Love, Dare, Difficult to Discipline," mm-hmm. is one that's, that's been helpful for you. More the parent component. More the parent component. Okay, mm-hmm. so even if you're listening and you are as as we're talking about this, and I'll link this in the show notes easy to love, difficult to discipline is more of the parenting one. We recommended this to a woman in the Launcher Your Life uh, course that I do, mm-hmm. online coaching. Although she is a, a teacher, she also has kids. And she said this book has like, revolutionized the way that she even sees her kids. And she was concerned that the book was too focused on young kids, but she's learning so much across the board. So, Today, we, we can't cover all the the ways that this way of disciplining or connecting with kids. And please, once I feel like I'm throwing in all these caveats, because I don't want you to check out thinking that this is just for teachers or just for little kids. Even the term conscious discipline, it kind of has a negative connotation, like discipline, discipline, right?
1: Yeah, it's definitely not. Discipline just means to um, to follow something, to be a part of, to be a, to be a way so that you can self-regulate. And it's amazing. It's amazing for me to like see myself and how i can be a better person
0: yeah okay i just have a flashback to my uh elementary school principal oh my gosh i'm trying to remember his name mr mr he looked like hitler i swear he was short he had a little hitler mustache and he had a paddle in his office yes
1: i can't no
0: <laughs> yes i kid you not T.C. Cherry Elementary School, Bowling Green, Kentucky, Mr. Oh, I can't remember the guy's name. Okay, anyway, he's probably dead now. Um, rest in peace, that paddle. I never got paddled, but I saw people get paddled.
1: It can be so scary. Yeah. It can be very scary.
0: I remember this one kid who had some, probably he was, you know, he had some challenges. Uh, and uh, his name was Johnny. And I remember a man, the teacher would literally grab him by the ear and pull him out. Into the hallway. Oh, my. I saw him getting paddled once.
1: That's not conscious discipline. No,
0: that's unconscious. <laughs>
1: that's not okay. That's
0: not good. I think that's against the law now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, that was like 1985. So... Um, all right. Let's go to some of the some of the principles, and particularly three ways that these I know these have revolutionized your way of loving kids in your classroom, loving our kids, and uh, that these will work for any age. So, take me through a couple of these concepts here okay. to begin with.
1: Well, let me start by saying um, something that Conscious Discipline is so great about is it goes into what um, are called the brain states. And so it really helps me to understand for myself and for kids what state they're in. And so they describe the brain as um, survival state, which is the the lower brain stem. And so when you're in a survival state, you are more in a fight or flight. You possibly want to lash out more physically if you're in a survival state. And so when you see kids in that state, because they're um, they're perceived as threat and they ask they're basically asking the question, Am I safe? Um there, adults the, ask that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So once again, every age. Yes. Right. So this could be a sixteen year old yes. going. And they're at, you're saying their brain state, if they're in a fight or flight...
1: Survival state. Survival state. Mm-hmm.
0: They're asking, am I safe?
1: Am I safe? That's the question they ask. Not am. just
0: physically, but emotionally.
1: Yes, yes. Yeah. And... Um, that could be anything that triggers us, whatever that looks like. It could be someone yelling at us. It could be a variety of things that trigger us because of just past experiences. Um, the other state is um, emotional state. That's more of when we lash out with um, our verbal um it's, it's out of, we ask the question, am I loved instead of, and I kind of, I tell a lot of kids, am I liked? Cause you know, they think they giggle when they hear, am I loved, but am I liked, am I loved? And so out of that emotional, um, what happens is that when you get into an emotional state, you start to, um, kind of play the messages, the negative self-talk, and you can really, um, believe those lies about yourself when you are asking yourself, am I loved or liked?
0: Mm-hmm. And so, how would I how would I switch into the emotional state from the survival state?
1: Mm, well, it could just depends on what your triggers are and your past emotional pain and things that happen. Because everyone has their own definitely their own things that happen to them in life. And so, ultimately, what we want is we want to stay in the executive state. That's the prefrontal lobe of um, of our brain that helps us ask questions. Um, what can I learn? Um, I'm curious. Um, I'm here to be focused, all those states, um, that helps us be focused and ready to learn. But um, the thing is with prefrontal lobes is that we do not, people do not develop their prefrontal lobes until they're 24 years old, fully developed till 24 years old. And so basically, I'm lending my prefrontal lobe to not only my kindergartners, but Often we have to be the adult to even our teenagers and older, because they're not quite there yet. And so they make decisions and we go, man, they knew that. We thought they knew that. Of course they know the right from wrong. But ultimately, we have to remember that if they're not fully developed, then they're still struggling and Mm -hmm. they're not there yet. And we have to be the ones that model that. We're the adults.
0: And so they're operating. And are you saying um, from the conscious discipline world of thinking that there are three brain states?
1: Three brain states. Okay,
0: yep. emotion or uh, survival.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, am I safe? Mm-hmm. And then there's emotional. Uh, am I loved or liked? Mm-hmm. And then executive, mm-hmm. which is this space of being able to process information, mm-hmm. n- not just in the learning environment, but in a day-to-day work environment, in relationships, I'm able to process um, different responsibilities, whose part is what in terms of um, conflict management, all of that.
1: Sure. And and you're able to say, what can I learn always in that moment? Because you're just open to whatever is coming your way, and it's not a triggering time. It's just a part of just growing and learning.
0: Mm -hmm. As opposed to reacting. Correct. I can't
1: believe you'd say that. What are you thinking?
0: This doesn't Yeah. So,
1: as you're hearing, as I'm hearing you say all this, it's like adults act this way. We could use this. People are in emotional and survival constantly on the road, in interactions at work, all the time.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, one thing is being aware of your child, no matter their age, even if they're, you know, from two to 22, mm-hmm. uh, their brain state. Are they asking, am I safe? Are they asking, am I loved? Are they saying, you know, are are we ready to engage and learn different brain states and your own brain state, I'm assuming?
1: Absolutely, because it really does start with us. It starts with me. If I am not in a place of consciousness of what where I'm at, then I'm going to be very triggered by... X behavior because it's something in me. It bothers me. And so I have to be taking the deep breaths and calming myself before I go in to handle the behavior.
0: Mm-hmm. So my uh, child writes on the wall. My child um, uh, doesn't eat their dinner,
1: mm-hmm. you know, whatever it might be. Right.
0: Or my child gets a ticket. Yeah. So all of those are opportunities to get into, probably those would be into a, a, a survival state. Sure. The parent would be in a survival state, most likely.
1: Sure. Yeah. Or it could be emotional because it's like, our, if our bent is more toward, what were you thinking? Why did you do that? You know, start yelling more like the verbal. Yeah. That's more of, um, you know, and then that child, depending, they may want to run away or they may um, feel triggered to yell back at us. So it just kind of depends on like the bent of mm-hmm. like what what, a, what the child feels in that moment.
0: Okay, so it's being aware, and so that could be interesting as you're listening to, as you're going about your day, going, hmm, "What state is my brain in? Am I in a survival state, emotional state, or executive state? Am I ready to look at what I can learn in this moment?" Mm-hmm. Okay, so okay. as I'm as I'm thinking about that, and and I know that your first, um, the the first way that we're talking about being able to love our children, no matter their age. Uh, Ties into those brain states. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely. It's an acronym called Q-tip. Quit taking it personal. And basically, we have to not take it personal. The behavior is a communication. There's, I see it as an iceberg. There's a lot of things going on underneath. We need to see the underlying reason of why it's happening and investigate more. When a child lies to us, um, they're trying to solve a problem that they don't know how to solve. And so for us to take it personal and be like, how could you ever lie to me? I've invested so much in you. Um, That's going to put guilt and shame on the child, but we, we need to understand why they lied. It's going getting to the root and the cause. So quit taking it personal has been so helpful for me when I see... When I'm getting triggered by behaviors, I just go, wow, okay, this is not about me. They're not trying to make me mad right now. They just need something else, and I need to help them.
0: And even kindergartners in this day and age will say, you're a horrible teacher. Mm-hmm. I hate you. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm very mad at you right now because you didn't um, give me what I wanted. I mean, they're very bold. Like a lot of children are very bold these days.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be you didn't give me the crayon I wanted. It's yeah. that simple.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't like you right now because I didn't get to be first in line. I mean, they'll kind of tell me things like that. And so if I feel like, okay, that's a, that could be a trigger for many people. Don't you dare disrespect me. Don't you dare get in time out. You are going to be, you know... Um, you're gonna be in the back of the line for the next five weeks. You know, oh, it's man. like out of like just a wanting to hurt that child back.
0: Right, because uh, as a teacher or parent, you're disrespecting me. You're not honoring the fact that I'm the one in control. I'm the one in charge. Don't don't question my authority. Um, so all those things might be yeah helpful for the child not to do. Unfortunately, if you take it personal, now your brain state bam, is in a tough place, Mm -hmm. and you're not able to help that child.
1: Right. Because ultimately, what I'm trying to do is I'm helping the child learn a skill and learning a new way. Not, I don't want the child to, instead of how can I make that child, I always ask, how can I help a child? I don't want to inflict pain on them, I want to help teach them a new skill so that they, next time, won't feel the need to yell out at me. It's like they have skills. I'm teaching them skills every day. That's as, what I'm trying to do. As
0: opposed to straight conformity.
1: And me having control and power over them. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah. And somehow they would pick up on, if I if I exert my control, then they'll pick up on, this is the right way to act. And then they'll keep acting that way once I've controlled them.
1: Right. Right. And that really doesn't work. It really ultimately um, just keeps flaring up, flaring back around. And it just does not help. And it's a power struggle. And you get in the boxing ring with that kid, and it just never um, feels like you're connected to them. It just feels like it's very punitive all the time.
0: Mm-hmm. So even if I've got a 17-year-old and they say, I don't like you, I mean, it's it's almost the exact same language as a you know five-year-old. hmm I don't like you because you uh, are setting my curfew at, you know, midnight or 11 or, you know, whatever.
1: Wow. Yeah. Um, That can be tough. Um, Right now I'm feeling frustrated. I'm going to walk away. We can talk about this when we're in a better place to talk. I mean, it's just really not getting quit taking it personal. Don't go in that boxing ring with them. It will never solve anything. Mm-hmm. It's just really um, handling it when both um, the 17 year old and you are both in a calm state and ready to discuss it in a, may, a way that's, you know, two people communicating in a calm way.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So uh, quit taking it personal. So if you're listening today, I would even suggest as you're dealing with your child, having a relationship, engaging, no matter what their age, something is going to come up today, this week, this month, where it's going to be a tough interaction. And I would say, be aware of your internal voices, the moment that that happens, and ask yourself, hmm, am I taking this personal? Am I taking this personal? Um, And you might go, well, I'm not taking it personal. They're just not supposed to do this. Okay, well, then you're taking it personal as an affront against your values.
1: Mm-hmm, absolutely. Right? Yeah. And I think um, for me, when I feel, I, I start, I've become so much more aware of in my own body where I'm feeling the tense and I am realizing when do I feel triggered because I feel a reaction. I've been just been more consciously aware of myself and some of the tools I'm giving myself and then passing down is just taking some deep breaths. Um Deep breaths through my nose, out through my mouth, um, just releasing, you know, clenching my fists, releasing them open, just calming myself so that I can be um, ready and available to help the child instead of just going in hot.
0: And you're teaching or you're uh, using those techniques, I should say, and teaching those same techniques to your class.
1: Yes. I cannot download calm to them if I'm not calm. And so I'm giving them tools when they're in survival state. We've talked about it. When you're in, you know, when you're in the red zone that we talk about it, Um, maybe go take a drink of water, maybe go um, take some deep breaths, walk around the classroom. There's a little place in my room called the safe place just so they can go sit and decompress. There's, you know, coloring, there's a feeling sheet, um, there's lots of tools for them to calm down, and then they come back. It's just a place just to go, decompress. It's not punitive at all.
0: Mm-hmm. What I love hearing about is how the children in your classroom then are passing these tools along to their own parents.
1: Yes, I have parents often will say wow last night I was very frustrated with my child getting them to bed and and I or something just kind of flared me up and my child said mommy keep breathing you've got this you can handle this <laughs> And they'll share that with me, and they're like, I know that's coming from you. Thank you, because I did take a deep breath, and it was mindful. It really knocked me out of my moment when I was feeling very frustrated.
0: So powerful. Yeah. Yeah, super powerful. It's okay, so quit taking it personal. Mm-hmm. Revolutionary way, number one, to love your child. Because if, you, if you're if you taking everything personal, you can't be in a place of loving them.
1: Correct. You yeah. cannot. The next one is um, connection over correction. So when you are feeling very frustrated with your child we have we have ebbs and flows of kids and no matter what age having issues with just there there's hard times and so when we feel like we're always correcting 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 the kids really tune us out. It just feels like that want, want, want. They don't want to hear us. And so what I tell other teachers when I'm I'm coaching them and even for myself, I need to step back and say, wow, have I really connected with this child with their heart? And like, really, do I know them? Do I Have I done something with them that they really love? Like maybe just sit for five minutes in the classroom because I have 24 kids. But if, if I know a child is really struggling and wanting my attention, I will take the time to... Build blocks with them, um, have a lunch with them, color with them, and that goes for teenagers. Hey, do you want to have a lunch date? Do you? Um, where would you like to go? Let them pick the restaurant. Those things can go a long way because when kids feel connected, they um, the the desire to be a part of um, just the the family dynamic, the classroom dynamic goes up so much.
0: So that's one of the things that I know you've really approached learning as a family environment. Take us through that for just Mm -hmm. a moment.
1: So in the beginning of the year, we call, um, we we name our our class our school family. We just say this is our school family. We set expectations. This is what's helpful to our school family. Um, we every morning we have a morning meeting. We do deep breathing. We do a fun connecting um, poem or song or dance. Um, we set our intention for the day. We talk about how we're going to make this day a better day for other people and for ourselves. And we pass around a little pail and put in a little like popsicle stick and talk about that. Um, We tell ourselves, we've got this, we can handle it. All of those things are so helpful to like set intention for the day. Kids talk about, this is my school family and they feel connected. And so right there, I'm already building the connection over correction. And I'm really noticing um, the things that when others are doing helpful things, and I kind of just let some of that. I ignore a lot of the other things that they're not doing, and usually the child who's not doing what I want him to do usually starts to be a part of the group when I'm noticing the others who are doing the helpful thing.
0: Mm-hmm. And when you're when you say notice, and obviously this is on a five year level, sure. Uh, so it sounds obviously super childish. But um, tell me, how do you notice those kids that are doing the things that you want them to do? Mm-hmm.
1: I very much paint a picture for them instead of just saying, you're such a good girl. I'll say, or a good boy. I'll say, oh, you pushed in the chair for your friend so everyone would be safe when they walk by. That's helpful. I really name it. Even for a teenager, they love compliments. They love it. Like the other night I had um, some high school students come in and I was like, wow, you really got, you guys really cleaned up the classroom so well. Like you've wiped down the tables and their faces were just like smiling and beaming. Um, I really appreciate the way you took care of my classroom when you were doing the science night for the kids and the way you guys um, taught them was so helpful. Um, for our own kids, I notice you work really hard. You're on time for your shifts. You're there every day. Um, that that's probably so helpful for your for your boss. Just giving them those little moments to find ways to like help them.
0: But that's so cheesy.
1: It can be, but you know what? I think kids just they melt no matter what age. They just go, oh, doesn't everyone like to be noticed? Doesn't everyone like to be um, felt like they're appreciated? Even adults, don't we? Don't yes. we by our bosses, by our spouses? We love to be noticed.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's the explicitness of your comments that are so powerful because Mm -hmm. the good job feels kind of nebulous and like, oh, everybody says that.
1: If I say I like that or I good job, I like it when you're so good, um, it feels like I'm judging them. They're basing it on my approval, not um, just in general what I'm noticing them doing as a person.
0: Ah, so you'll even say, I notice this.
1: Because when I say I like it, then I'm judging them. It's based on me, my approval. And I don't want them to be, I want them to be intrinsically motivated, Mm -hmm. to be helpful to the school family, not to me.
0: But by saying, I notice.
1: I notice.
0: Interesting. Or just
1: start to say, you were sitting with your body calm on the rug and listening. That's helpful because they're you- my you, when I name their you, it becomes their I voice later. If I say Mm -hmm. you are being helpful by pushing the chairs in, they're saying, they internalize and say, I'm being helpful when I push chairs in. and and,"
0: Mm -hmm. So it it
1: helps their internal voice as well.
0: Interesting. Okay. So connection, we got off off a little bit off that track, but uh, connection over correction. So It's hard to bring feedback to someone if you don't have connection with them. Otherwise, then it's just feels, it can feel distant. It can feel punitive. Um, Yeah, I see that. Yeah, it's a difference between even in our workplaces. If you have a boss who has a genuine care, and when we say connection, it's the feeling that 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 child feels cared for. Sure. They know you love them. Yeah. And they feel that mm-hmm. uh, you you should know that I love you. Well, no, nobody just should know. It, you got to feel it,
1: right? If they feel safe and loved, and that's the thing. If we are developing a, a cultivating a culture of safety and love in, in the workplace, in our classrooms, in our home, then there's that connection, and then it's almost like you've earned the right to um, to give some correction because they feel safe and loved. They don't feel like they want to run away.
0: Yeah, and it's so funny because that word correction on the surface, you are correcting a behavior. Um, but ultimately, you know, it's so funny how words take on so much negative connotation in our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you use a lot of time the word feedback, mm-hmm. giving the child feedback on that, you know, this was or was not helpful to the school family or to their learning environment. Yeah. Um, so even giving you know a, a child feedback, no matter the age, is is super powerful. Sure. Okay. So quit taking it personal. Uh, connection mm-hmm. over correction. I think it's so interesting. I keep thinking about all these conversations that we have where you work with teachers and they're like, I don't understand why this kid won't respond to my words. You mm-hmm. know, to my correction. Mm-hmm. And your first uh, question is, have you?
1: Have you connected with them? Have you connected? Do you know? Write them a little note, um, and have, tell them to write you back. Um, it can be just an amazing way because we're not making kids behave. Kids have their own will. We know this. So if we push our, if we push our thumb down on them, they will they will fight back, and that's not going to be helpful.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so connection over correction. What's the third way that is a revolutionary way for us to love our kids?
1: Mm-hmm. That would be um, consequences, not punishments and rewards. Punishments and rewards can be um, so challenging because we we give kids a lot um, idle threats. If you don't do this, you're not going to have this. I'll give you ice cream if you do this. Um, instead of laying out the expectations of what we want kids to do, we often give um, idle threats. Then we were nice, 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 nice. And then we punish kids. Um, our punishments can be um, ultimately what we want to ask is what are we trying to help the kid learn? And so with the punishments, it feels like sometimes we we punish out of anger and, and we're triggered in the moment. And so we end up giving kids things that are not related to what happened. And so they don't really ultimately learn what they're supposed to learn from it.
0: There's no skill development. It's literally punishment. Right. You did X. I'm going to make you, some kids, you know, stand in the corner. Go to uh, a timeout. Uh, go. Um, I'm going to take away your car. Uh, you can't go have a sleepover. Like it's just, it could be just random things. Right. And really, it's, I, I this is so bad, but I remember as a young parent us talking about, okay, what is, what's going to get through to them? What's going to hurt them? Yes. You know, what's going to take what's going to be the most painful thing that's going to, you know, cause them to, uh, for us to get their attention.
1: Right, and what happens though is when we're like, "What's going to be so painful?" If a child is very strong willed, they'll they'll let you know that nothing hurts them, and so then that causes us to be more triggered because we're like, "Oh yeah, well we'll all give you even more," and so we or or now
0: I'm just going to spank you.
1: Right, and that ultimately is not skill development. That is not what a child really needs in that moment. Um, the rewards. If you do this, I'll give you this. Ultimately, what they're valuing is the reward, mm-hmm. not the expectation that you're wanting them to do. They value whatever you're giving them, and that's very short-lived. It's not long-term um, value of what how we act and what we do in life.
0: I know in previous years, you've even heard parents tell their kids, if you have a good you know, two days of behavior in class... I'm gonna take you to Disneyland or Knott's Berry Farm mm-hmm. or whatever.
1: Yes. Yes. Ultimately what happens is I mean, kids ebb and flow all day in and out of behavior. And so it's all based on my judgment, on my subjective, do I think they behaved in a way that was um helpful? And kids fall off the bandwagon daily, minute. I mean, it could be all the time. What is a good day? And dis and then a lot of times I'll say, if I said, well, they really struggled today. Well, and they said, and they, and I tell them that and they go, well, that's okay. We're still going to Disneyland. Like, because they ultimately that they're not willing to like put that down. They wanted to go as a family and they put that up there so high. And then the kid realizes, I can do whatever I want, and I'm still going to Disneyland. I'm still going to go see the movie.
0: Mm-hmm. So then, the punishment and reward doesn't even like they're not even following through. It on Doesn't it. even matter. It doesn't matter, right? Yeah, I'm going to get my way no matter what. Sure. Yeah. And if that's I keep where... pushing, pushing, pushing. Yes. Okay. Yes. So what? So tell us then. And and by the way, if you are a teacher or you obviously have kids in uh, elementary school, middle school. Uh, the whole idea of a prize box or even like charts on the wall, all of that, that's part of this reward and punishment system, is it not?
1: It is. It was a process for me of not just cold turkey taking it all away because if you feel like that's how you've always done it, then what else do you have? That's the thing. And so that's why for me, I just kept diving deeper into watching videos and studying books because I, I wanted to get rid of all of that. I just didn't do it right away. And that's the thing, is like as even as parents, it's like, what do I do if I don't offer rewards? Like what am I what do I have then? What's I have nothing else left. I'm giving it all up.
0: There's no way you feel like you don't have a way to motivate your child.
1: Right. For me, I tell parents a lot, hey, how about um making some visuals at home and connecting, like having your child um give them responsibility and practice what it looks like. Go over, make a chart. And it has like all the visuals of what chores you want them to do. The child is take pictures of them doing it and then name it when they did it. And then say, it's more, doesn't have to be a physical reward. It can be like, we actually um, can read three books together, or we can, um, let's go to dinner earlier. When you finish, it can just be more of like a connection time as opposed to like having to like the all-encompassing huge reward. And then it's just like, oh, nope, you didn't meet my my standards of what you did. So, mm-hmm.
0: so instead of uh, punishment and reward, you're really working toward now this concept of consequences. Mm-hmm. So some of these consequences are natural consequences, like sure. things just happen. Sure. Right? You've yeah. even said, like, Man, if you don't wear your coat, you're going to be cold. Yeah. Like, that's a natural consequence. Right. Um, Yet, at the same time, you can set up scenarios where you're providing a consequence Mm -hmm. as feedback to the behavior. Yes. Um, Why, like, tell me, break that down more, like, why consequences are so important to skill development for a child?
1: Well, here's the thing. So I tell families and I I tell them that um, a consequence kind of is that last piece, because if your child is not connected... If um, there's just a lot of things going on in the home that don't feel fluid and expectations are not clear, it just feels discombobulated. But when you feel like your child's connected and, and you feel like they, they have learned the skill and they just chose not to do it, Ultimately, that is like the last one. Okay, there is a logical consequence that can be put in place. But here's the thing. If you are putting in a consequence for like, laying down a consequence for a child, it needs to be related to what happened. It needs to be respectful to the child, and it needs to be reasonable. Those are huge because, for me, that really has helped me to stop. And sometimes I say, I'm going to think about what's going to happen. I don't maybe lay it down right away because I want to be intentional to help what is going to help this child learn from this mistake.
0: So you're saying... The consequence is like way down the road. Like yes. first of all, you're connect- First of all, I'm going. Okay, this is not personal. This is, uh, and I'm getting connected to the child, mm-hmm. and I'm helping toward learn, helping them learn skill development. Yes, as opposed to you did the wrong thing. Now you get a punishment. I'm learning. i teaching. 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 Giving feedback, and then at some point, I know you've got the skill. But now there's consequence. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, go through those three R's again. Say, me, say them. Same again.
1: They're related to the offense that happened. Okay. It's respectful to the child and to um and to just so it's not overbearing, mm-hmm. and it's uh, reasonable. It's reasonable.
0: Okay. So, like, having kids stand out on the – you've seen those news things where kids are standing out with a poster on the side of the road because they, like, cut class or, you know, they did things multiple times. I don't think that's really respectable. Respectful.
1: No, no, I don't think that's respectful. Yeah. Because it's a, it's, a, it's,
0: it's a punishment. It's
1: a punishment and it's to inflict pain. Like this is going to yeah. hurt. This isn't going to embarrass you.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's a last ditch effort to try to get their attention. Sure. I understand the, 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 the parent is. I get it. Just They're feels exasperated. Completely overwhelmed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's an example of that's not really respectful. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So give me an example. And for parents listening, obviously this is a kindergarten context. Give me an example of something where you have. Provided a consequence to a child mm-hmm. this year that met all of those three, and it could, it, you know, it could be super simple. It could be a, you know, a kid punches another kid, mm-hmm. you know, or mm-hmm. it could be something else. Like, give mm-hmm. me an example.
1: If a child, let's say, punches another kid, um, when both parties are calm, um, I do do a restoration process where I have them um, come back, and the victim will basically get to. Um, use their voice, their assertive voice to t- share with the child who hit them how they did not like it and they what they wanted them to do next time. So they're, I'm teaching them assertiveness on how to speak up for themselves because that's where the tattling comes in. They don't know what to do. So I would basically help the victim share with the person that hit them what they didn't like and what they wanted to do next time. Then I go deal with the child who did hit. I will either- And they're both standing there. They're both standing there. Yeah. But then I let the victim, so to speak, go away because I've taken care of them and let them empowered them. Now I deal with the person who hit. So today you're going to be helpful. Um, maybe you're going to take a clipboard out on the playground and you are going to um, draw a picture or write a sentence of three ways you saw people playing helpfully. So they're outside, they're in fresh air, but they have to go around and they're gonna, and then you and I will talk about it after what you noticed and how that was helpful. Um, another example would be that that child has to do um, two helpful acts of kindness for the, the child that they hurt. Um, they have to go another other way. Maybe they carry their lunch for them to the lunch tables. It's just like helping train their brain for a new way instead of like hitting. Sometimes it takes a little bit of our brain work to think about how it can be more helpful to teach them the skill and develop empathy.
0: Yeah, and it's not an immediate reaction, right? Right. You got to kind of, as a, an adult, think about okay, what would be,
1: yeah,
0: uh, you know, you said the relatable, three R's.
1: relatable, respectful, and reasonable,
0: and reasonable, relatable. We're we're picking up on that. Oh, okay, all right. If it's a physical, and obviously, you guys, fifth graders punch each other all the time. I'm uh, not fifth graders, first graders. kindergarteners. Yeah. Uh, kindergartners geez, do they do it because they're so, so hands on? So it's different than if a, a high schooler punches somebody else, but. Um, um, relatable. It's all about um, connectedness or uh, helpfulness, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to um, taking away their car. Yes, that's not related.
1: Not really. No, no,
0: that's not going to help it's them with skill us development. Us.
1: As parents, we're well, like, now I got
0: to drive them around. Now
1: I have to drive them around, like. If you felt like that was related, great, but if it's not, then what, we're punishing ourselves and then we're angry at the child because mm-hmm. we're angry at them because we, you made me do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. It's like...
0: And respectful, like to be disrespectful to a child in the consequence process would be um, something that's or even verbally demeaning,
1: I think that's the way it's like over yeah, it's overly like shaming. It's the way we talk to them. It's way the way we lay down the consequence to them. Um, it doesn't have to be demeaning. It's just like, this is what it is.. Mm-hmm. You know what? I know you can, you got this. It doesn't have to be like a, you know, a five hour lecture about why you don't do it,
0: yeah. And then the last one was reasonable. Mm-hmm. And so, That obviously all of this is subjective as we as parents and and, uh, leaders, but something that's unreasonable could be you're going to find a hundred ways to be helpful to this child. Right. Right. The the child, they're just stuck, they're paralyzed.
1: Right. You're going to lose recess for the next um, five weeks. Never, you're not playing anymore because apparently you can't, you don't know how to play.
0: Yeah, obviously, completely unreasonable. Uh, right. and, and ultimately, that does not provide skill development.
1: Absolutely not. They're sitting in the office, just wishing they could play, and they're a- antsy. And then they come into class, and then they they do more crazy things because they haven't had a chance to run around and play. So you have to kind of go, okay, what's what's going to be helpful? But as I'm I'm even as I'm saying this, I'm you know I'm thinking that's why consequences are truly the last thing because there's so much other groundwork to lay prior to laying down and being ready to like lay down a consequence for a child because there's so much heart work that we can do as parents and teachers to like help kids feel connected and loved so that the consequences truly are like the last thing.
0: Mm-hmm. I love the thing that the, the woman that you introduced us to in our launcher Life program, she said to me the other day, she goes, yeah, my kids were freaked out when they were getting angry about something. And I didn't respond out of anger. Mm. Like I was, you know, stated in an executive state and they were like, they didn't know what to do because I wasn't amping up like I normally did. Mm -hmm. So funny. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I am. I feel like I am becoming more of a, um, just a calm centered person, um, Maybe not all the time, but I'm aware when I am amping up. And for my own self, that's a, that's a better way to live. That's a healthier way to live, to live in a conscious state as opposed to unconscious and always blurting things out and saying things that are hurtful. I'm in a better place. And so therefore, um, I'm able to pass that along to my students and to um, my own kids. And, and the things I say to anybody, I'm aware of what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's helpful in life.
0: Okay, so this way of thinking about relating to kids, obviously, this has a big uh, impact on teaching. Um, that's where the concept originally you know, originated, originally originated, that's pretty <laughs> fancy there, uh, is called Conscious Discipline, Dr. Yes. Becky Bailey, and we will link multiple, we'll link her website as well as the other book, which is Easy to Love, Difficult to Discipline, uh, which is an excellent resource as well. And you have a uh, Instagram account that you have a lot of teachers that are starting to follow that where you talk about some of these things. Do you want to talk about that for a minute? I do
1: yeah, I created it um, over the summer and it's um, for the love of K. And it's all together. I have it it's on a Facebook page as well. And often I'll just post little quotes from Conscious Discipline and things that I just pop in my head um, that I'll just post to help people. It helps me, it gets it out of me and, and just puts it out there. And I know it's um, been helpful for many people. So
0: For the love of K. Mm-hmm. That's not K A Y. There's not a woman named K.
1: Right. Letter okay. K. Like kindergarten. As in kindergarten. Okay, I'm a little K. slow. All right, got that, yes. yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, at first, I was like, who is this K woman that you love? I'm confused. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, for the love of K, and even if you're not a kindergarten teacher, uh, it's a great resource. Sure. But if you are a kindergarten teacher, it's a wonderful resource. It's yes. dead on. So, connect via the links in the show notes. You can get those by swiping up on your phone or at our website, insporising.com. Laura Trotter, you're an expert.
1: Thank you for having me. Oh, my it's gosh! Good to be here today.
0: I just, uh, you're the best parent. Like, I'm the worst.
1: Oh, don't do that. Oh, Stop. So, we're look at that. partners.
0: Okay, okay. We're in it together. Jeez. You're always so far ahead of me in parenting.
1: <laughs> we're partners. We're okay, a team. Good.
0: Team Trotter. <laughs> Woo-hoo. All right. Aye, aye, aye. I'm super thankful for Laura joining me for this conversation. And if you want to hear more from her, reach out to her on Instagram or Facebook at for the Love of K. And if you found this episode to be inspiring or helpful, please share it with a friend. Tell them to subscribe to the Inspiration Rising podcast on a podcast app such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. Open up any of those apps, search Inspiration Rising, click subscribe to ensure that you get every episode delivered right to your phone. All right, until next time, have a wonderful week.